Welcome to episode 85 of Love That Album. It's that time of the year again where, depending on your inclinations, people put trees in their lounge rooms, gorge on donuts, or indulge in feats of strength. It's also the time of year where people like to make lists. Favourite this, best that, never mind pitchfork, never mind pop matters. The only music lists that really count are those put together by the LTA Shooting the Shit crew. Yep, they're back for 2015 to let the listeners know what were their favourite first-time listens this year, new albums or old. It's a show so massive, so wide of girth, it has to be presented in two parts. They don't want you falling asleep on them. For this first part, Morris is joined by Tim Merrill of the See Here podcast and Michael Persh of Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide podcast. Be prepared to take some notes as to what albums you should catch up with or to fume over what didn't make the list. Morris even has some feedback from listeners as to their favourite albums of the year. Thanks for writing, he sulks otherwise. And now, time to shoot some shit. Nobody worries about kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? afternoon. How you doing? This is Morris speaking here. You're listening to episode 85 of Love That Album podcast. And it's a very special time of year because every year, for the last three years I'd say, we've been doing this end of year specials. I have the Shooting the Shit crew and unfortunately only the last couple of years we've only gotten together for these end of year favourite albums sort of uh, deals, but uh, hopefully maybe next year we'll have another couple of specials. But anyway, the whole purpose of this show is for myself and the Shooting the Shit crew to uh, discuss our favourite first-time listens of 2015, because if we heard an album that was recorded 40 years ago for the first time, and it meant a lot to us, then that's worth talking about, not just solely 2015 albums. So, who are these Shooting the Shit crew people, you say? Well, they're rather large, so we're going to do this in two episodes. So, I have half the Shooting the Shit crew here with me tonight. One is myself, and... On my left on the Skype screen is from the Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide podcast and also from Hills FM. He's a radio star, a bona fide radio star, I tell you folks, Mr. Michael Persh. Good evening, hey, Michael. <laughs> G'day, mate. How you doing? I'm, Lovely to be here as always. It's, it's wonderful to have you back. And on my right, my good friend and my cohort from the See Here podcast, the man who knows his music, the man who knows his films, the man who will enlighten you. With lots of wonderful selections tonight, Mr. Tim Merrill. Good evening. Somebody give this man a shovel. Jeez. 
<laughs> yeah, how, how how you doing tonight? Much appreciated, Morris. I'm uh, always happy to be here and uh, yeah, well, shoot the uh, shit with my uh, fellow music aficionados. That's the way. That's the spirit. So what we're going to do in the next few minutes is we're going to start going through our list. Now, we've gone and selected five albums each that twiddled our dials. I mean, there are obviously a lot more but uh, we'll speak for a few minutes about each one of five albums. We'll sort of you know, do a bit of a round table, take turns. And we might even have a little bit of time at the end of the show to uh, talk about some honourable mentions. Just briefly list those off. Just a few that didn't quite make the list but are still worthy of your attention. But before we do that, I actually have some emails, you know, begging and bribing sort of helps. So let's see, what have we got here? So the first one comes from a fellow called Tom Quay. I, I hope I pronounced that, Tom. Tom, I only just sort of made the acquaintance of in the last week. He hosts an excellent podcast called Down in the Hole, where he and his partner Sam Wiles, they discuss album by album for each show. They go through the entire Tom Waits catalogue. They really do know their stuff and they have a lot of interesting things to say. So if you're a Tom Waits fan, I urge you to uh, go search out the Down in the Hole podcast. Anyway, so uh, Tom Quay, not Tom Waits, but Tom Quay has gone and written to me and said, Hi, Morris. Hope you're well. As for my 2015 picks, so the first one he lists is a fellow called Bill Ryder Jones and an album called West Kirkby County Primary, a terrific collection of intimate Liverpoolian love songs laden throughout with emotional, grungy lead guitar. I can't quite imagine what that sounds like, but um, love songs with lead, grungy lead guitar. E- either of you heard of Bill Ryder Jones? Not a, not a clue. All right. Well, we're going to have to search that one out. The next album he's listed is uh, a group called Bad Guys and their album Bad Gynecology. Oh, I see. They've made a pundit. All juggernaut chugs and Viking rhythms. Bad Guys' intelligent bread, oh, intelligent brand is metal, is rye, and knowing rather than obsessed with hellfire. That isn't to say that there isn't a satisfyingly brutal listen. However, just one that batters the listeners both through its intensity and its creativity. And the third album that he lists is one that is in my uh, honourable mentions, and it's only there because I didn't really get enough time to uh, listen to it 10,000 times like I would have liked. But that is the Dave Rawlings machine, Nashville Obsolete. Long-time Gillian Welsh sideman Dave Rawlings, and she features on every track, steps out into the spotlight once again for the sprawling folk epic of Nashville Obsolete. Rawlings' majestic accompanying guitar playing is a wonder throughout. His style inquisitive and inventive, always finding the right smattering of notes to bring out the best of the song. All the best, Tom. Thanks very much, Tom. Really, really much appreciated for uh, that email there. And uh, the good news is if you're an Australian listener to this show and you're a fan of Gillian Welsh and Dave Rawlings is there touring here in February. They're going to be doing a week of shows of Gillian's material and then a week of shows doing Dave Rawlings' material. So um, if uh, you happen to be a fan of both, then you don't have to choose. You can go and uh, see shows under both their names. It'll be fantastic. So the next correspondence, and this is just put on the Facebook page, but this is from my uh, Ice Halo compadre. Adam Fleet. And what does Adam have to say? So his uh, favourite listens of this year. An album that came out uh, was it three years ago now already. Two, well, maybe two years ago. David Bowie's The Next Day. Simply because it exists and everyone had given up. And it's great. Yes, it is. Uh, and actually, uh, Bowie has a new album coming out in January, I think. I don't remember the name. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, his next album, The Decemberists. What a beautiful slash terrible world. 
He says, thank God they've moved on from the faux REM Americana phase and went back to doing what they're good at. Now, I suspect that Adam has said that just to personally piss me off because I rather liked their uh, Americana phase, but that's what Adam does. Thank you, Adam. Uh, C.W. Stone King, Gone Boogaloo, awesome creepy stuff with the Bull Sisters in fine voice behind. Now, are you a fan of C.W. Stone King, Michael? Absolutely. Yes, yes, indeed. Love his stuff. It's just... But, and so quirky, but I just, yeah, it's, uh, I can't really put my finger on what, um, to explain to people that may not have heard him what he's like, but he's, he's, um, yeah, do the Google thing and, and, and check him out. Fascinating mm. stuff. Look, I, I got his first album, I can't remember how many years ago, maybe it was 10 years ago or so, and he used to play like in a little venue in, uh, in, uh, Fitzroy, not in Brunswick Street, but to somewhere, off, I can't remember the name of the venue, but I went and saw him there a couple of times and, uh, yeah, he, he's an unusual fellow, but he certainly uh, has that authentic sound. And what I, I'm really struggling to explain, I, mean, I think it's a wonderful thing, but I can't really quite explain how someone with that very old-timey sound has made it so big. Uh, you, you just sort of expect it, you know, there'd be the handful of the blues faithful would be digging it, but he, he's really sort of attracted a lot of attention. So, you know, but, good but luck he's to so, him. But he's so unique, but also on the, on the same, at the same time, he's very authentic. And, and, and I guess... There's, yeah, I can't think of many people that that sort of you know can play authentic blues like he does, but still sound fresh and new and interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I wonder if it's that freshness that's sort of attracting people who are maybe not necessarily dedicated blues listeners. But you know, I think well, so. Yeah, I think so. But well, anything that can attract people uh, is going to be a good thing. And finally, he says, uh, Veruca Salt, Ghost Notes, best thing they've done because it's very personal. Okay, thanks very much for that, Adam. Uh, we have one selection from uh, Randy Hall of the That Dandy Music Hour podcast, a fine listen. Uh, and his selection is Beach House's Depression Cherry. He says has really gotten my love. So thanks very much for that, Randy. Uh, Scott uh, is in Scott Smart, who um, uh, frequently contributes to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema Facebook page and also the Love That Album Facebook page. Sent us an email saying, Hi, Morris. I haven't really bought anything this year as it, it is the year of study, but... The best new stuff I've been listening to is the pre-live bullet Bob Seger, which is amazing, and a radio show on PBS FM including Fang It, Stone Love, and a new show, Space is the Place. Hmm, sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it there, Tim? Mm-hmm. Uh, a new radio show, Space is the Place, which has introduced me to the amazing world of Kumbaya music. Great stuff. On Fang It, Rory played this amazing band who, when I get an income, I will invest in called The Peep Temple. I love it when an Australian sings in an Australian accent. This is a song he has been playing. It's great. And he's just sent me a YouTube link. But I had a listen. It was, uh, the song was called Carol from uh, this group, The Peep Temple. And just to describe it, it was, it was very garagey. And these guys are obviously big fans of the Nuggets material. So um, I'd, certainly nice. be, I'd certainly be very inclined to uh, pursue them. Um, it, it was a really, really great tune. So uh, The Peep Temple out there, uh, folks, if um, you're interested. Uh, so uh, anyway yeah thanks very much for that Scott and I think we oh so yeah one more email and this is from uh, Nathan Budensaw who um, ex of the Feed My Ears podcast but frequent contributor to the Feed My Ears Facebook page which is still going says hey ho Morris Nathan here figured I would send off a few of my faves this year sadly these are all new releases versus new discoveries only as it would take me forever to whittle down as I've discovered so much new music this year like I do every year I've limited it to five albums okay so the first one Nathan Ratliff and the Night Sweats self-titled finally a current artist that is kicking it with some old school soul 
Ever since the first listen to this, it has skyrocketed to my fave new musical discovery of the year. This album still gets daily play around here. Favourite track, Howling at Nothing. Uh, second album, Godspeed You, Black Emperor, Asunder, Sweet and Other Distress. This post-rock act from Montreal has been a big favourite of mine for many years now. The reason I'm adding it to this list is that it was the year I finally caught them live after missing them over the other years. Uh, over the years. They played the entire album during the show, and it was one glorious, life-changing night that I'll remember for the rest of my life. No fave track. Oh, yeah. The entire album is stellar. That's that's one you're a fan of, uh, is it, Tim? Oh, oh, Godspeed's amazing, man. Like, I mean, you hear the records, and they're just so sweeping and epic, and, like, you know, like, it's not... They're not a band you're going to sit down and just listen to a track to. You're going to listen to a full album in completion, but seeing them live is just something else. They're just... And a lot of times, they actually uh, play to film in the background, but they're not actually playing to the film, but it's amazing how a lot of the images uh, actually uh, work so well. Mm. You would swear... You would swear that they were actually scoring films nice but they're not but they're not i mean but they're an amazing amazing band they've been around for a long time yeah yeah i remember hearing them a bit on the three triple r many many years mm-hmm. ago mm-hmm. so the third album is another album that's actually made it into my uh my honorable mentions this is Sound and Colour by the Alabama Shakes. The biggest thing here for me is Brittany Howard's voice. That lady has one hell of a set of pipes on a great sophomore release by these guys. Favourite track, Future People. Graveyard, Innocence and Decadence. Yet oh, another, yeah. Yet another album that is almost a throwback to some 70s classic rock sound, as well as another band I finally caught live this year, finally. These guys are so underrated, it's not funny. Fave track, The Apple and the Tree. The last album that they put out, that Hissingen Blues, is just amazing. Mm. You listen to their stuff and you swear that they came straight out of like 72 or 73. So find, a, find another band that you'd compare them to. Uh, I don't know, but it's got they got the same feeling like... They're almost like a, a mixture of like Blue Cheer and the Almond Brothers. Oh wow! Okay, now you got my interest. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just they got that that loudness, but they've got a real way to write their the songwriting is just is just phenomenal, you know. Nice. All right, so his um his final album, Sun Kill Moon, Universal Themes. I've been a mm-hmm. fan of Mark Kozlek for many years. Love his storytelling sort of deliver to his lyrics. This album is just another reason why I love this artist to pieces. <laughs> Favorite track, Crimea River Williamsburg Sleeve Tattoo Blues. So uh, there you go. Thanks very much for that, Nathan. And thanks to everyone who took the time to send a few words to let us know what your favorite albums of the year were. Uh, If you're listening to this now and think, gosh, I'd have liked to have sent in my favorites, fear not. We have another Shooting the Shit end of year special where um, we'll be having uh, Eric Reanimator and John Sterrett and Dr. Jeff Smith giving their favorites of the year. And I'll be recording that next week, but probably put it to where maybe a day or two after Christmas. Fear not, you can send us in some of your faves for that show. And I certainly would encourage that you do. How can you do that? How can you send us the information? Well, what we'll do is we'll take a break and Joanne will tell you an email just to write to. You're listening to Love That Album, the Shooting the Shit special part one of End of Year Favourites with Michael and Tim, and we'll be back to start talking about our favourite albums of 2015 first-time listens. We hope you're enjoying the show. You can get previous episodes at either lovethatalbum.podbean.com or lovethatalbum.blogspot.com or search for Love That Album in the iTunes Store. 
If you want to get in contact, please email Morris at rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash love that album and start a music related discussion. And we're back from break. Thanks very much. You're listening to uh, Love That Album, episode 85, our annual favourite first-time listens of the year, Shooting the Shit special. I'm here with half the Shooting the Shit crew, Mr. Michael Persh and Mr. Tim Merrill. Thanks to both of them for joining me, because if they weren't here, I'd be talking to myself, and that'd be fairly boring. So uh, what we'll do is we're each going to uh, going to do a couple of rounds before we go to the next break. And um, I think we'll go from left to right on my uh, Skype screen. So we'll start with uh, you, Mr. Michael Persh. What is your first selection? And I should also say these don't have to be in any order. Just uh, If you want to, that's fine. But uh, otherwise, just go for it. Start listening. Um, what's your first uh, selection for the evening? No, they're not in any order. And I've, I've sort of just randomly picked things. And there's, it's been, it was really difficult. There's been a lot of interesting stuff come out this year. But the, the first one I've chosen is, and, and you know... Boris that I'm a, a tragic, tragic yes man. I do. And Mr. John Anderson has got together with uh, a guy that I'm not, I'm not really familiar with, Jean-Luc Ponty, and, and you may be, but... Um, I am, you know, yeah, I am actually. I know yes. he was a huge star back in the 70s, and he must be really getting on, but they've, they've, got a, they've put a band together, and they've, they've got an album called Better Late Than Never. It's a mishmash of a few yes tunes that they've reinvented, uh, but the, the interesting thing is that they've gone back and, and taken some instrumentals from Jean-Luc Ponty's back catalogue, and and John Anderson has written lyrics to them, so it's it, and it works really really well. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys are like I said, if you're Jean-Luc Ponty fans from from way back, but I, I have a, a renewed interest in in looking in his back catalogue and. Um, if you really want to get uh, check out some sweet John Luke Pawnee, he actually played with Frank Zappa for a stretch in the early seventies, and his uh, his violin playing is is uh, second to none. Mm-hmm. I remember in the uh, I think the early eighties when I started getting into uh, jazz fusion, uh, there was a, there was a friend of mine who was uh, very much into uh, a lot of those old uh, jazz fusion albums of the seventies, uh, you know Mahavishnu Orchestra and. Uh, yeah. and uh, Return to Forever and the like and he was a big Jean-Luc Ponty fan actually I only bumped into him for the first time in years only about two weeks ago so I might have to mention that to him but yeah we used to listen to uh, a show on PBS FM every uh, Thursday night called Bitches Brew hosted by a guy called Len Davis and he used to play a lot of that sort of stuff he, he was a big Jean-Luc Ponty fan so a name I haven't heard in a long time so uh, it's interesting that here in 2015 that you've brought that up you've uh, brought back some nice memories Michael yeah yeah. so they've, they're tour- they've been touring the States this year fingers crossed they've, there's talk that they will tour Europe and uh, 
as, as John Anderson has been to Australia, I think, a couple of years ago and, and did very well, hopefully, fingers crossed, they may bring the outfit to Australia. So we never know. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's a really interesting mishmash of, of tunes, but I've, I've picked a Yes remake to uh, sort of to play, and it's um, it's the one everyone knows. And I guess it's not that different from the original, but it's I find this one really interesting because of the... The arrangement that John Luke Ponty is playing in this song is uh, is really really takes it makes the song fresh again, and it's one of those we've heard a million million times. It's uh, owner of a lonely heart. I, I wonder. I mean, did they actually have any other top forty tunes besides owner of a lonely heart? I mean, twenty minute songs don't often make top forty hits. Well, that's that was the that was sort of peaked everywhere, everything else. But you know, songs like Roundabout and um, I've seen all good people were hits back in the early seventies. So yeah. Not, not so much, though. But uh, I think even as recently as like about six to 12 months ago, I found myself sort of searching out the film clip on YouTube because it was like the uh, the G-rated version of the film clip and the one that they didn't show until like after 10 o'clock at night. It was a little bit nasty, something that looked like it came out of a Franz Kafka book. Do you remember that clip? No, not at all. Oh, you haven't seen that? So, you know, the, this guy, he's walking down the street and... Um, He's, he's picked up by some secret service agents, taken into a building for reasons that he doesn't know why, and all the members of Yes there are there, and they all turn into nasty creatures like snakes and, and crows and peck out his eyes and bite him. And it's it's a pretty nasty piece of work. The full film clip is out there on YouTube, but I remember there was like a, a cut down version that they used to have on uh, shows like Countdown yeah, for the six o'clock. Uh, yeah. Family friendly time consumption, but uh, the full film clip is certainly worth your while. I'll, I'll go through it though. I, yeah, I think that's. I think the film clip is famous because it um, it features Eddie Jobson, who was in the band for about two minutes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so, so what's the name of the album again, Michael? So it's it's called Better Late Than Never, and um, yeah, this is the Anderson Ponty Band. Excellent. Thanks very much. All right, uh, Tim, your first selection for the evening. All right. Well, this one. Uh it's an artist that I've listened to for many, many years, but this one album in particular, this is the first time it crossed my path, and it is uh, Hooker and Heat, 1971. Everybody talk about it. Burning Hill. Ain't no hell when I know. Ain't no Burning Hill. Where I die, where I go. Ain't nobody tell. John Lee Hooker with uh, Ken Heat. Nice. And uh, this is a mind blower. It's a double album that came out on the Liberty Records. Uh, well, they were a subsidiary of Electra. Mm. And uh, actually, I mean, the one thing that Ken Heat was primarily known for was uh, the boogie. The, the, the boogie, but the haunting uh, harp playing of one Alan Wilson. I mean, when you listen to On the Road again, just uh, the harmonica is just right up front, yep. above, above and beyond. And this was the last album 
that Alan Wilson played with the band because he unfortunately wound up dying of a drug overdose shortly after this. And uh, but the whole album just cooks. I mean, you know, uh, with John Lee Hooker, it's funny because being such a legend as he is, it's not that he plays with you. You play with Hooker. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and everybody just, you know, and a lot of bands, you know, they're just backup. But I mean, Ken Heat just fits in with what he does so well. Oh yeah. And what's what's amazing about the album is that you know they're recording it right off, you know, the floor in the studio, and Hooker is talking to Alan Wilson, and he's saying. Man, I love your heart playing. Like, you know, you must have been listening to every album I ever made because you can just follow me right along. Like, I don't know how you're doing it, right? And he's just, and he's just, you know, right behind Hook every step of the way on this. And there's, uh, there's one song in particular, uh, "Burning Hell," and it's just uh, unbelievable. Just so, like, they're just right in the pocket with Hooker and and. It's so funny because it's a studio album, but at the same time, it sounds absolutely live, like a like a like a radio recording. Like they're all just sitting down there, just banging it out. Like I say, right off the floor, but it's all in the studio, and it just sounds so clean. And John Lee hasn't sounded that's so clear. I mean, and this is like from '71, mm. so I mean, it's it's ridiculous how how clear this sounds. It, it's just it's just amazing. It just grabbed me. So I thought, yeah, this is. This is one I'm going to keep going back to again and again. This is an album. This is an album I've sort of, I've been searching out for a while. I mean, I've got I've got a great double album of Canned Heat, like an anthology of Canned Heat. But mm-hmm. the one album that I really want to get as an album was that Hooker and Heat. And I've seen it available like as a single, like as a cut down version with half the tracks missing. But I'd love to get the, like the full. The full double album. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I can't hate her in Australia in the mo- at the moment. I think too. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Huh? I'm gonna have to look. Well, have to look that up. It's funny because Bob, Bob the Bear's been gone for years and years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know who's singing for them now, but one thing I was going to say that's really nice uh, on the um, the <laughs> anthology that I've got is on each CD at the end they have um, a couple of ads from uh, from the band. I think you know one of them is advertising. Uh, Levi Jeans. Um, oh, I can't even remember what the others are, but uh, two ads per per um, per album. And I mean, I, I know that actually in the '60s it was it was a common thing for a lot of uh, rock musicians to uh, to do ads. I mean, if you can believe this, I think you know the Who did ads for the Air Force and the Rolling Stones did ads for Rice Krispies. Right. But, um, but well, yes. the, the the Who actually were parodying all that with the sellout. The, you know the sellout record. True, true. But then the the irony is that they went and did it for real as well. Right, right, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. So, but yeah, the canned heat they're doing. That the, you hear um hear them playing in the background while Bob the Bear is, is saying, "Oh, many years ago, uh, the creator of uh, Levi Strauss went and made a jeans that was <laughs> that was wearable and it, and it was tough and uh, and you can wear them today and <laughs> so very very fun stuff." But uh, no, I'm I'm really glad that uh, you brought that album up. That's one I definitely want to track down. Right. All right. So, um, all right, I'll go to uh, my first listing, and that's actually one that's already been mentioned. Nathan mentioned it in his list of albums, and it's Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. Some waving when I 
really love discovering things due to uh, a recommendation of any sort, and especially ones that I'm on the wonderful Feed My Ears Facebook group. I don't remember who it was that mentioned that album in particular, but the front cover, I made note, looked very GGTMC. I don't know if you've seen the front cover, Tim, but um, very, very GGTMC. Oh, I haven't. So, uh, anyway, so they had a film clip which intrigued me. The song is called SOB, and I must have watched it. The first time I heard it, I must have watched it about five times in a row. It's a simple clip that is definitely tipping its hat to the end of the Blues Brothers. Nathaniel Rateliff is cornered by the police and ends up in jail, putting on a show for the prisoners with his band, all dressed in prison clothes, and they've got armed guards watching. And the song itself is the thing, you know, the foot stomping, the hand clapping, the humming and the chain gang calling out in the verses. It's, it's pure gospel. And the band kicks in for the chorus with the same chord sequence, funnily enough, as Yakety Sax from the Benny Hill Show. But, uh, so, you haven't, I don't know, have you heard this song at all, Mike? No, no, not at all. Ha- have a listen to it. You, you, you'll, you'll think Yakety Sax, but it's not kitschy for that. It still sounds like a great song. It, it's, it's exciting and rousing, and it, it'll, it'll go down as a treat like <coughs> I'm, I'm really thrilled that I'm going to get a chance to see them play in Melbourne next year. Under the surface, though, for this song, there's a lyric about a guy and, and he's sitting in a bar and he's just letting his life pass him by while he spends it getting drunk. I mean, really, there's quite a few songs on this album about people who, are, you know, about a guy who's despondent and, and just sort of like trying to find out how he fits into his life. And I understand from reading up some stuff about Nathaniel Ratliff that uh, he'd actually had that was a part of his life. So um, there's a lot of him in these lyrics and in these songs, but this is far from being a morbid album. This is really a very celebratory album. I mean, for crying out loud, this album was released on the Stax record label. I didn't even know that they were doing anything that was new. I thought it was just like they were a reissue label for their own, for their uh, back catalogue. But this is, I don't know, maybe this is the first new album that they've recorded in years. I don't know. But it's very, very exciting. It, it's no surprise that the album is on Stax because, you know, he's definitely channeling the greats of soul in his voice. He started out as a folk singer, funnily enough, but uh, and I don't think that he went anywhere, but uh, someone made this suggestion, why don't you try R&B? And he did, and uh, it's come up with this really exciting album. And you know, on, uh, on SOB, it sounds like he could be channeling uh, Big Joe Turner, but you'd swear that Howling on the Moon, uh, sorry, Howling, at, Howling, Howling at Nothing is uh, like a great old Sam Cooke song. Need Never Get Old sounds to me like he's channeling Sam and Dave. But it's, st- it's still, but it's not a pastiche album. I mean, I, I think I've read a couple of reviews that suggested it might be, but to me, it's a very exciting album. It was recorded simply. You, you get sort of like um, a, a little bit of reverb on the guitar. There's no histrionics. It's not trying to make it sound like it's an overly produced album. It's just a group of guys that sound like they're all sitting around a couple of microphones in a room. And they're just having the time of their lives. It, it's exciting music. It's well-crafted, well-written songs. Very simple, but earnest. Uh, but, well, not earnest, but honest. And uh, I just find this a really terrific and exciting album. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do next. March, they're coming out, I think, for the Byron Bay Blues Festival. And they're doing a sideshow here in Melbourne. So I'm just thrilled that I'm going to get the chance to see them play. And I'm just looking forward to singing along with the crowd to uh, the song, Son of a Bitch, Give Me a Drink. That's uh, that's going to go down a treat. It's going to be a lot of fun. Nice. So um, anyway, so that's my first pick. So we'll go uh, back round the virtual table. Michael, your uh, second pick, please. Okay, my, my next one is um, is a local band, and I don't don't do this very often, but I heard so much about these guys recently. I got the opportunity to go and see them play, and 
they blew me away. They uh, they won a, a state blues competition to go to uh, to represent South Australia in Memphis in a nice. in a in a blues competition. The band is called Lazy Eye. I'm a blue tongue lizard laying on a country road. I'm a blue tongue lizard laying on a country road. Cross that sucker, got so far to go. Watch out, I'm Thing and, and and check them them out. They are unbelievable. The 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 band consists of uh, the main man is plays a Hammond organ, a real Hammond organ, mm-hmm. which which you know imagine carting a real Hammond organ around, and that's just mind blowing for a start. And he, he he brings this thing on stage on a trolley, and <laughs> it's just and and uh, he's got like half of the panels of the the Hammond uh, uh, clear perspex, so you can see the insides of it and it's the most surreal weird thing but he he's a great player and he's he's the harmonica player in the band so it's, it's only three piece so mm-hmm. uh, and I a drummer a, I take, a baseless trio baseless trio yeah and uh, the guitar player is a is a lady who is apart from being gorgeous she she channels Eric Clapton like I've never seen in my life, they are, they play all over Australia a lot. So if you get to uh, if you get to see them at a at a festival or something, they are really worth checking out. They they just blew my mind. Lazy Eye is the um, is the name of the band. They've got a, an album out called uh, Single Malt Blues, um, and also a, a an acoustic EP out, which I which is the the tune I've, I've chosen to play. So uh, this this is a a real standout from the live set. It's uh, it's a it's a tune called Blue Tongue Blues, and uh, it it really is just you know when I see a a, a contemporary blues band these days, I think oh it's just going to be you know they're, they're just they're just not going to have it. And I I was really these guys had so much height. And I thought, no, nah, I'm going to be disappointed. But they they blew my mind. So uh, yeah, so did, this is. Did they sound yeah. fairly raw? Well, I don't know. This again, a similar thing to what we said about um, Stunking. They they have they they really um, you know pay homage to traditional blues, but they've got such a distinct original sound. I, I really can't explain anything what they're like. You've got you've really got to go and uh, and look them up on the net and and have a listen. And if you get the the opportunity to see them. They are fantastic live. So, well, yeah, do the Google thing. Lazy Eye. Lazy Eye. I'll uh, go and see whether uh, they're touring Melbourne, whether they ever come down to Melbourne or not. They do a lot of festivals around the Eastern State. Nice, nice. Now, looking forward to that. All right, Tim, your uh, second pick. All righty. Uh, one thing I have to say before I mention my album is uh, I have a bit of a confession to make. You like Donna and- Marie Osmond? No, not not going that far. Okay. Sorry. Okay. But uh, I do I do have a certain affinity for uh, one band from the west coast of the United States by the name of uh, Steely Dan. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'm with and, you. And you know, a lot of people are you know they're kind of one of those major hit or miss bands for a lot of people. You either get what they're doing or you just can't stand them at all. 
and I've always appreciated the studio mastercraft that you know that they've pulled off with so many classic albums. And it's not just the duo, you know, of uh, Walter Becker, and Donald Fagg, and it's everybody that they've got behind them. I mean, Cornelius Bumpus and all the drummers and all the session guys that they get behind them that are just, you know, that make them sound so good. Mm. The, one, the one thing that I've always liked about Steely Dan in the interviews with the two guys is that they've always first and foremost mentioned all their influences. You know, they've never, they've never ever really said, Oh, we're all that. They're already, you know, basically they just say, Hey, look, you know, this is what we've listened to. Like, these are the guys that really made us who we are. And uh, when I really listened to Steely Dan, when, you know, they, I mean, 70s FM radio, 80s FM radio. And the one name that they always kept bringing up in interviews was this guy, Wes Montgomery. You know, I had listened, I, I dug him out, found some West Montgomery stuff and was absolutely blown away. Because, mm. I mean, like, you know, to me, he's one of the greatest guitar players that ever lived. I mean, aside from, you know, like people like, you know, Django Reinhardt. And there's one album in particular that I just found this year. It's called uh, Talk and Verve, Roots of Acid Jazz. And it's basically Wes Montgomery just smooth as a single malt scotch and just laying down just amazing, tasty, tasty instrumental compositions that, man, it, it's just like, you know, no matter where you're at, it's like, you know, if you're, you're, you could be in Antarctica in the shittiest of situations, freezing your absolute ass off. You put on West Montgomery and suddenly out of nowhere, you're sitting on a tropical beach with an umbrella drink and everything's all right. You know, <laughs> it's just, it's just, this album is just so smooth. I mean, it's like you can be smacked in the face and put this on and within a minute of listening to this, man, you just absolutely, everything's gone. It's just so nice. It's just really refreshing, just like a summer breeze. And, and, and it's so funny because now that I think about it, I mean, I'm not a big fan of acid jazz or any of this stuff that you know i mean a lot of people would say this is the kind of shit that they play in a dentist's office you know oh, no. but uh but but west montgomery man he's something else he's just he's just absolutely something else See, there's um there's another guy who uh, i think might have been a contemporary of uh west montgomery called grant green and i think he might have recorded for blue note but uh if you like west montgomery he's probably another go-to guy for that you know, and probably a cti era george benson probably right. falls, falls into that same sort of uh, cat. right well you know i mean it's so funny because to me like wes montgomery is the kind of guy like jaco pistorius where you hear him and you're just like if you're even thinking about picking up a guitar or a bass these are the kind of people that are just going to make you not 
do that. Or, be... or maybe at least say, right, that's the standard. That's the that's the height. You know. You, it, yeah, but I'm saying, but I'm saying, no one, no one is ever going to reach that. It's just, you know, <laughs> when you when you hear these guys, it's just like, you know, I quit before I even started. Like, you know. <laughs> All right. All right. So, uh, so that's your that's your pick. What was the name of the album again? That's um, the origins of. Of, uh, it's called Talking Verve. Talking Verve. Yeah. Roots of Acid Jazz. Yeah. Right. So that'd be like one of a set of albums, wouldn't it? So that would have had uh, other artists in that series, I imagine. No, actually, it's all it's all West Montgomery. Oh, okay. Nice. It's nice. just it's just a collection of different things that he did. All right. Excellent. All right. So my second pick. Uh, I'm sort of going to go this, uh, in a similar way to you, Michael. I'm going to go down the local blues path. And this is actually an album that we've already discussed on the program. Uh, back in March, when the two of us and David Blom, we did a Mystery Box show, the first of uh, our Mystery Box programs. And this is one of my picks for that show. So the band is Three Kings, and the name of the album is Here It Is. It's from in case you haven't listened to uh, the Mystery Box program, uh, Three Kings is a side project, although um, you sort of argue maybe it's become the main project for uh, local harmonica player Ian Collard of uh, Melbourne's blues institution, Collard oh, yeah. Greens and Gravy. And actually, I think next Saturday night, they're doing a 20th anniversary gig, 20 years of Collard Greens and Gravy. I wow. cannot believe it. They've been around for a long, long time. The band is in... In this case, the uh, Three Kings band is a twin guitar attack as opposed to, uh, you know, and once again, no bass. Uh, in Kyle Greens and Gravy, Ian Kyle plays occasionally the guitar, but he uh, mainly leaves that to, and oh God, how, how embarrassing I've gone. I forgot the guitar player's name. Anyway, never mind. But in uh, this case, the band features uh, Benny Peters of a uh, local band, Benny and the Fly-By-Nighters, which are more of a jump blues sort of band. Kyle Greens and Gravy is more about a laid-back blues style, a laid-back approach. But Three Kings is a lot more up-tempo, you know, very exciting sort of stuff. Uh, the drummer in Collard Greens and Gravy, Anthony Short, doesn't use a conventional kit. He always, he even used to play with a tablet and a wide assortment of uh, drums and things that you can hit with uh, you know, sticks that look like chicken claws. But uh, Jason Luson uh, plays in this band a more conventional kit. But it's really up-tempo, exciting sort of jump blues now I think here it is might be their third album I haven't heard the earlier ones but I take it that they're you know in the same sort of vein uh, this is really like just imagine you've gone into a backwater juke joint and really this this is the sort of music that you'd hear it's recorded and played very rawly it sounds like it was recorded in the 50s for chess records uh, it's a mixture of covers and originals in the style of their heroes so you know some of the names on the, associated with this album are Slim Harpo and John Lee Hooker and Magic Sam and Lightning, oh, nice. Lightning Slim. Oh, you'd so love this album, Tim. 
Uh, oh, man. To be honest, you said Slim Harpo. That's enough for me, man. Right there, man. <laughs> well, Tim, they've got love if you want it. It'll, oh, nice. Uh, there might be... No, I mean, no, that song's not on the album, but, but it, they really, that's their approach. Um, Ian Cohen <laughs> has always worn his heart on his sleeve with uh, his uh, harmonica playing influences and and uh, nice. the band just I love what they do they're having so much fun and look to be honest there could be thousands of bands around the world who are doing this sort of thing but these guys I love a local band that does it they're really reverent of the source material but without treating it with kid gloves like it like it needs to be in a museum they play in uh, such a way that they want everyone to get up and dance around the land room. The album sounds very live. It, it, it doesn't sound like an album that you'd say, oh, well, you know, it's it's okay, but I imagine that they're better live. It sounds like this is what you can expect. If you play the CD live, this is what you'll expect when you go see them play live. So I'm dying for an opportunity to go see them sometime soon. But uh, I th- as I said, next Saturday night, Collard Greens and Gravy doing their thing. So... If I have this episode up in the middle of the week uh, and you live in Melbourne, then I think they're, so they're playing Saturday night, the 12th. I've forgotten the name of the venue, but look up your gig, guys, somewhere down, uh, somewhere in Brunswick, I'm sure. So anyway, it's, it's a great lo-fi blues album, and this is just this album just pushes all the right buttons, and Tim, you'd completely dig him. So uh, if they make yes. it to Adelaide, Michael, go see Three Kings. I've never seen... Jeffrey Collard play, so I will keep my ear to the ground. Oh man, yeah, he's he's a busy boy because uh, as well as um, doing like his regular those two bands, but I think he plays uh, with um, with his wife, who's oh she's going to release an album this year. Now I'm trying to remember. She was originally from the band Git, which were an all female country act, uh, played through the noughties for quite a bit and oh gosh I'm, I'm gonna I'm kicking myself I've forgotten her name never mind I'll look it up and uh, announce it after the break anyway so right okay you've uh, we've gone through two rounds of uh, our selection so what we'll do is I'll have a quick break have a glass of water have a beer whatever it is that will wet our whistles and we'll come back with some more suggestions and selections from our favorite first time listens of 2015 you're listening to love that album episode 85 with Michael and Tim and myself is Morris we'll speak to you in a minute. You're about to experience the cultural phenomena. What's it all about? Know what I mean? That's sweeping the nation. Oh yeah, it's happening. It's frightening what we've created. Stinging Paul's podcast. I'd sooner go out and see a bleeding horror film, I said, nothing like that. A fortnightly show where we review classic and not so classic movies. A truly fine professional piece of work taking a look at some of your favourite movies of all time. I'm ready to go. I'm really ready to go. No, I'm not. You can find all our previous episodes on our website, stinkingpaws.com. An Follow us on Twitter, at Stinking Paws, or join the Facebook group. The majesty and grandeur of the English language is the greatest possession we have. And it needed something to sort of uh, give it a breath of air. It needed something to give it a. It needed something to give it a 
Oh, I can't say it. I can never say, I always say fresh of breath there. Brilliant. The noblest thoughts that have flowed through the hearts of men are contained in its extraordinary, imaginative and musical mixtures of sound. Probably good not to do a podcast if you can't say basic English. Yeah. Yeah. And you can also subscribe to the show at iTunes. As we said, a truly professional podcast. Yeah, they all sort of play each other off each other. Um, that's how they go. They all sort of play each other off. They all say that. They play one another. I'm not even. Gonna, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> they, they, um, they play. They play. Let's give this some serious thought. They, they play one another against each. No. That, did, did that sound right? I don't know. <laughs> I know what you're trying to say. And we're back from break. Thanks very much for downloading and listening to uh, episode 85 of Love That Album. And we're on to the uh, third go-round of our selections of favourite first-time listens for 2015. So uh, once again, the floor is yours, Michael Persh. Okay, so, so be nice to me. Okay. I, I, it's confession time for me. Tim's had a turn. Most people back in 77, 78 were... Electric Light Orchestra fans, I was one of them, but their their albums from previous to the big ones, New World Record, etc., I thought were were brilliant. Face to Music and, and El Dorado. You're not um, getting you're not getting any argument from me. I, okay, I'm a huge fan, huge fan. There's a new album out called uh, Alone in the Universe. Alone in the Jeff Lynne has put out under the name VLO for, for quite a few years. I think there was an album called Zoom back about 2000-ish, which indeed was a great album. But did, um, that, didn't, that didn't have anything to do with Jeff Lynne, though, did it? Was that Bev Bevan and, and whoever he could... Well, I, I didn't think that had well, anything to do with Jeff Lynne. There's, well, there's two electric light orchestras kicking around. Bev Bevan has one kicking around, and, and Jeff Lynne sometimes calls a record VLO and sometimes calls it a solo album, but... But this, yeah, this so this new one alone in the universe, he's he's calling Jeff Lynne's Electric Light Orchestra. But for me, it's it's it it harks back to those albums. So I haven't, you know, I, I sort of lost my way with the Yellow when the, when they had that big sort of Phil Spector sound in the. I guess the albums after um, Out of the Blue were all just for me just all one level. There, there were some good tunes on them, but it just. Yeah, it didn't have the dynamics of the early stuff, and and it's sort of this one's taken me back there. So I'm, it, it's only just come out, and I've only listened to it a few times, but I, I really, really like it. So no, I've, I've only heard, yeah. I've only heard, the, I think the single. I, I heard it on the ABC a few weeks ago. Jeff yes. Jenkins, our friend Jeff Jenkins, played it, and um, I thought it, it sounds like the last 35 years. No, uh, there's been no changes in music at all. It really sounds like vintage ELO. Yeah, he's actually uh, touring. He's touring this now because a friend of mine in America, she's actually flying over to England to see him play in England. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, I don't know who's on the Ooh. tour with him, but, but he's be, touring East. I'd be pretty sure that uh, the regular ELO keyboard player, Richard Tandy, is still working with him. I, I saw there was um, a, a documentary that, you know, BBC4 are big on their music documentaries, and there was one they did a few years ago about uh, Jeff Lynne. And I don't know if it was because they had problems with getting footage or whatever, but for, for a documentary on Jeff Lynne, it was, ironically, it was very ELO light. There was a lot of stuff talking about, about the Travelling Wilburys and other things mm-hmm. that he, you know, his early life, but there was very little footage actually about ELO. But was that the one in his house where he was walking around <laughs> his house? That's the one, that's the one. Yeah, and it, and yeah, I what, saw that. It, it, had, it had some... Um, had him do some re-recordings, really stripped back versions of ELO's songs, just him on guitar and Richard Tandy on piano. And they came out sounding really nice, I have to say. Yeah, so yeah, it's worth a listen if you were, if you remember the heyday of ELO and, and are uh, not too embarrassed to go back there. It's worth, worth a listen. It's called uh, Alone in the Universe. Look, I have to say that there's, um, there's a guy who's on 3RRR. I'm not going to mention his name in case he tries to sue me. But uh, I remember there's a guy on Triple R who uh, certainly has a few opinions about Jeff Lynne, and I think he once called him the musical antichrist. You know, I, I, I think I went and told him, go forth and multiply, but not in those words. <laughs> yes, I'm, any- I'm not afraid to put my head up and say I'm, I was an ELO fan, and I, I guess to some extent I still am. No, I'm I'm completely with you. On the third day is a magnificent album and a new world record. I'm frequently playing it and out of the blue and facing music. They're all great albums. It's, uh, I mean those those oh. early, those early albums are, are a long way away from where they went. I mean I'm not saying it was a bad thing or whatever, but those you know, on the third day is a mile away from say something like Discovery, which I think was probably the beginning of where I lost interest. That was my. Yeah, do you guys remember? Do you guys remember the video? I forget the name of the song. But there was a video that ELO did that was all animation, and it was almost like a noir Sam Spade where the guy was in the car driving with his girlfriend, and it all looked like paper cutouts. Uh, well, no, I don't remember that at all. What, what sort of uh, year? Uh, it was in the 80s. I don't remember that at all. Don't, don't, don't talk. No, not don't talk to me. Uh, oh, no. Oh, I'm going to – it's going to bother me now. I'll, I'll, well, I'll come back to it. Mm. All right. Okay. So, um, so you're recommending the new ELO album. And what, what's it called again? It's called Alone in the Universe. Alone in the Universe. All right. I have to search out some new Jeff Lynne. And actually, so just uh, very quickly, Tim, before we go to your next pick, uh, I was trying to remember before who um, the the name of Ian Collard's wife, who he's working with, and uh, that's Susanna Espy, and she's put out an album which, from all accounts, is a mighty fine album called Mother's Not Feeling Herself Today. And it sounds like a little bit like it was uh, her Plastic Ono Band album. Very, uh, very cathartic. She had a few issues and had to get them off her chest. And uh, she does it in song. So, um, but I, I've seen her perform live before. Uh, I, I can't remember who she was a support for. I, I think actually, oh, yeah, that's right. I saw her perform a year ago. She was a support for uh, Don Walker and the Suave Fucks. And uh, I was really, really moved by her uh, set of songs. So a great songwriter. So, uh, yes, Ian Collard's uh, working, I think, with her as well. So he's a busy boy, and uh, she's putting out some fine music. So uh, go search out Susanna Espy. All right. Sorry. Now, Tim, your uh, third selection for uh, for the evening. All right. A lot of people make a career out of music, and they're in the industry for many, many, many years. There's a tendency by many artists to kind of uh, – phone it in in their later years 
you know, as they as they hit their uh, their silver age, so to speak, uh, you know, they uh, they they basically build their fan base up to a point, and then many bands feel that they don't have to uh, try so hard because people are just going to basically follow them regardless, right? Right. But but one of my favorite bands of all time just released an album this year after. 35 years together, 35 plus years, and uh, this was their 15th album. And you talk about a fucking corker. Killing Joke just put out their newest album, Pylon. album has all the subtlety of a fart in church nice i mean they co- <laughs> 35 years and you figure you wouldn't expect a hell of a lot from four uh post-punk gets from the nodding uh nodding hill area but they come out swinging and this album sounds more vital today than anything that they've ever done there's so much energy with this album it's not even funny and i mean these guys were the progenitors of so much music it's not even funny like they're they have influenced the the list of people is is endless i mean everybody like ministry nine inch nails nirvana it goes on and on and on and on and i mean they started out in 79 playing almost like a death disco type of funk stuff which was kind of like a mix between chic and industrial music and then then they basically, you know, came around out around the same time, a little earlier, but Gang of Four, same type of stuff, angular, dark funk, you know, and uh, Killing Joke just, you know, they were unstoppable. And I mean, their guitar player, Jordy Walker, this guy is, he is an anomaly because I've, ne- I've seen him live stand right in front of me and play a Gibson SG and make it sound like an absolute orchestra one man just the the tones that he gets with his guitar i mean you know there's those players where you could hear a song in the background and you know it's definitively that guy there's nobody else it's that guy and jordy's got that sound and i mean with this album the stuff he does is just masterful i mean the guitar tones he gets like you would think that there were three or four guys playing on this album and it's just him and uh, the other thing is, too, their drummer, Big Paul Ferguson, mm. I have to say, like, Killing Joke have had their ups and downs with their lineups, and they finally got back together again, the original lineup in 2007 when I saw them in Tokyo, in Japan. And uh, they're dr- these, these guys are guys in their late 50s now, and they're giving it more than, I mean, like, kids in their 20s. Mm. They're, showing, they're showing the youngsters how it's done. I mean, you know... The, the the drumming on this album, Big Paul Ferguson. I mean, he's beating these drums like they owe him money. <laughs> it, it's not even funny, man. Like, I mean, I'm not kidding you. Like, you know, 
for anybody who's who's not even you know a fan of Killing Joke, if you sat down and listened to this album, and then I told you that this band had been together for 35 plus years, you'd just look at me and scoff. Like you'd say, "Get out of here, man! This? No, this guy 35 years, and they're putting out this now. It's like no, you know." And and it's like they're they're setting their own pace. And the last three albums that they've put out, they've put out a new album every two years. And that's the way they're going at it. And they're still saying, yeah, we're going to play until we die. And every two years, we're putting out another album because the world keeps changing. And I have to say that they're very serious political bands. Mm. And basically, with all the unrest about the world, about drones, about, you know, monitoring society, about, you know, the loss of freedom and uh, you know, the loss of uh, democracy around the world, I mean... All of this is fair game with Killing Joke. And I mean, these are guys, they're trying to, t they talk about living off the grid and they and going back to actually communicating as human beings between people instead of staring dead in the cell phones and computers and everything else. And, you know, I don't lose the irony as we're doing this over Skype, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, but the lyrics are very, very absolutely on point with what's going on in the world today and the music is not dated at all by any means. So that's what I, I, I'm going with for number three, Killing Joke Pylon. Nice, nice. So have they uh, have they toured Korea? No, not yet. And I'm, I'm dying to see them again. But they played. They actually played in China a couple years ago. And uh, they're actually doing a tour right now while it's coming up in January, February in North America. So they'll be playing Toronto, New York, Los Angeles, uh, I think Dallas, uh, and they're playing, uh, yeah, and then they're going to go back and do, they just did Europe, actually, October, November, and they had, like, incredible, incredible crowd show up. I mean, you know, again, you know, like, this is a band that has people, they have a devoted following called The Gatherers, and, like, Killing Joke, they look at every gig that they play as just a celebration, a party where everyone comes together and it's a catharsis, you know. I mean, they play on stage. It's like an exorcism. It's like all the anger and hatred and the shit and vitriol and everything that you feel just comes out. And it's like, you know, and everyone is mate. I mean, like when I was in Japan, I met people came in from Australia. I met people that came in from England. I met people that were like some guy knocks down another guy's beer, gives him another one. That guy buys around for the guy that knocked down his beer. It's like everyone's looking out for everybody, you know. And then after the show, we got backstage and we got to meet the band and we got to hang with those guys for a bit. And and they were like the, the most down to earth guys. And they're just like, we're, we're glad you came out. This is what it's all about. It's about friendship and communion and gathering. And that's it, you know. Wow. Sounds incredibly exciting. Oh, it was fantastic, man. And fantastic. I mean, you know, live, like I say, the albums are fantastic, but to see them live you know, with people that are all there for the same reason. It's 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 just amazing. I love those sorts of shows. I mean, not necessarily Killing Joke is not a band who I've followed, but uh, I, I do love those sorts of uh, bands where it feels sort of like a, a, a fraternity. Right. Quick story about the Tokyo show that I'll never forget for the rest of my life is that, you know, I'd never ever seen a show in Japan before. It was the first time. So I'm standing there waiting for Killing Joke to come on and I'm looking around at all these Japanese kids and they're wearing, you know, wraparound sunglasses and they're wearing latex rubber and leather jackets and stuff and spiked hair. And these are all young kids. And I'm thinking in my mind, 
this is just like bloody Blade Runner. And the next thing you know, the next thing you know, I hear these strings come over the PA, and it's Vangelis. Oh, really? And I said, <laughs> the no <laughs> way. And they came out to the, the beginning of Blade Runner. Oh, my gosh. And it just it just floored me. It just, that was spooky. What did these you know, kids that, know that you didn't? I don't know, but it was it was just spooky. I mean, just the kind of you know serendipity like that. It was just it was just freaky, you know. And like to see these kids actually singing the songs, every single song, lyric by lyric by lyric, and Jazz Coleman, their singer, standing there just looking at these kids like, you know, you weren't even alive when I wrote these songs. Like this is insane, you know. Like and the kids are just like devoted, you know. It was just, it was just spooky. But isn't that great that, you know, the sort of freshness of a band that sounds like that, it still sounds relevant to, you know, kids today who might still feel the same sort of frustrations that, you know, kids felt when the band were, you know, starting out as opposed to, you know, bands who might have sort of come out with some uh, some songs, you know, in, in, in their day that just don't necessarily haven't, they were of their time. They don't necessarily. Right, right. Well, there's lyrical content is one thing, but I mean, when you have songs that are timeless or songs that are just so fucking good when they came out and they're still, they still have that potency, mm-hmm. you know, after 35 years, they still have the same potency and they can still play the same songs and get people moving. I mean, there's something to be said about that. All right. There you go. So what was the name of uh, the Killing Jack album, the new one? Pylon. Pylon. There you go. Another recommendation, folks. All right, so my third selection is something that I'm, I'm sure is a long way away, actually, musically from that. This is an album from an artist who actually released a new album this year, but that's not the one I've picked. The record I've picked is uh, an album called The Raven That Refused to Sing and Other Stories by Stephen Wilson. of this year is called Hand Cannot Erase and it's pretty wonderful too but Raven is in a league all of its own. Uh, To those of you who are much more musically astute than I am, you'd probably know of his work through the band Porcupine Tree. I always knew the name but had never sort of really heard the music uh, although recently I searched out their album called In Absentia and I really really love that. Uh, And on the one hand, I feel dumb for not having known about this artist for years into their career. But on the other hand, I have the joys of catching up on a large back catalogue of material. I've got my son Max to thank for this. He put me onto uh, both of these brilliant albums and uh, actually put me onto another band called Harkin from uh, England. 
uh, and uh, their album I think might be from about two, three years ago called The Mountain. And I only mention that here because in a similar stylistic vein to Stephen Wilson, which is, you know, pro- I guess loosely termed as prog rock, but there's a lot more that's going on with Stephen Wilson. So his songs musically have, uh, I guess, the hallmarks of multiple time signatures and epic scale composition, and yet these songs are not quite like early Genesis or, or Yes from the early 70s. There's a lot more personal, and Stephen Wilson is obviously a fan of great pop. Uh, it's more so in evidence on uh, the new album, Hang Cannot Erase. These are not songs about wizards and knights, and they're just you know, beautifully told sad stories. And one thing I've learned about Stephen Wilson is that he does melancholy very, very well. Uh, as well as a musician, as it turns out, just on the side, he's an audio engineer and he's done remixes of albums in the last few years by Jethro Tull, as well as Yes and I think this year he did a remix of XTC's Oranges and Lemons, a great album in its own right. For those of you out there who uh, are always looking for a great music discussion podcast, there's one that I've discovered recently called Pods and Sods, and uh, they do an interview with uh, Stephen Wilson. I've I think from earlier on this year, I can't quite remember what month, but go search out Pods and Sods and uh, check out what Stephen Wilson has to say. He's a fascinating fellow. But as for the record itself, well, it is technically a prog album. Uh, and you know the songs, obviously he's been listening to King Crimson and uh, Peter Gabriel era Genesis. Actually, you'll find this interesting, Tim, based on one of the songs called The Holy Drinker, there's very much of, I'd say, a goblin influence as well here. As we associate with uh, prog, these songs are all about 10 minutes long and they have multiple time signature changes and they have long instrumental passages with room for highly technical solos and it's been produced by Alan Parsons, so you know it's going to sound great. But actually, what got me into the album were two really amazing animated film clips and that's probably a discussion that we ought to have on Shooting the Shit all its own about the rights of visual stimulus so you know film clips to draw you into the music should the music stand on its own right and these songs definitely do stand on their own right but there's something a little extra the the two film clips from this album uh, that i've seen are for a song called drive home and for the title track the raven that refused to sing i won't describe the clips too much because i don't want to give away the plot in fact they're not so much what i'd call traditional video clips i'd say they're short films that just happen to have these songs as their soundtrack. And unlike songs like Holy Drinker or the opening song of the album, Luminal, which go through these multiple phases and sound like what you call like a symphony of, of prog, you know, with these multiple movements. But Drive Home and Raven sound more like conventional pop songs where the focus is less on flash musicianship and more on the melody and the lyrics and the slow burn drama. There's so much drama that's going on in these songs it's just incredible i love it and each song ends with an emotional guitar solo and the band just lets the tension build and build i I really like stephen wilson's sing voice it's not something you'd normally associate with a prog style he doesn't sound like john anderson he doesn't sound like peter gabriel he he looks a bit like a hippie even goes on stage if you see live footage wearing just bare feet he's just got this long hair and glasses and just sort of sits there like he's going to sing these songs on the beach but but he has a he has a lovely voice every member of his band is absolutely a crack musician in what they do i'm I'm not going to sort of go terribly much more in describing the album in great detail because i want to sort of 
save that, I think, possibly for a Love That album in its own right. This is definitely an album I want to explore in a lot more detail. But uh, suffice to say, if you've uh, not been a fan of Stephen Wilson, you don't know his music, either through the Porcupine <laughs> Tree or his uh, solo material, I urge you to uh, search him out. If you if you sort of, if you're a prog rock fan, it's a no-brainer. It, but even if you're not necessarily into prog rock, but you just like gorgeous melodies, and you, he has a good sense of pop, especially on uh, the latest album, Hand Cannot Erase. Uh, so search either one of them out. They're, they're fine albums. It's funny that you mentioned uh, Genesis with Gabriel because from the Porcupine Tree stuff that I've heard in the Stephen Wilson tracks. They more remind me of the solo Gabriel records, the first couple of solo Gabriel records. Because uh, I, I, I sort of tend to think that a lot of those, the, the earlier Gabriel stuff tends to sound a little bit more harsh. And, and these, right. these, albums, these albums sound a lot more, or at least the Stephen Wilson ones, I've only heard in, in absentia, but they sound a lot more warm. Uh, right, but I mean the uh, but the kind of the melancholia and the kind of uh, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just the way Gabriel uses the pop uh, sensibility, but also can bring out the real, real dark or real serious uh, okay. subject matter tones, and but, but in a way that's kind of lighthearted or the melancholic. Melancholic. I don't know. How to, I don't know how to put it into words, but it's just I get that same feeling. Okay. Yeah. No, but, well, look. Regardless, I mean, it, it is still very, very beautiful. But if, you, if you're a Gabriel fan, then yeah, please search this out. It's uh, just mm-hmm. it's just beautiful, beautiful music, and really, my my big thanks to. Uh, Max, it's you know the the days of of uh, the father recommending music to his son are over. Now I'm taking my suggestions from him. But it's uh, a good thing, a beautiful thing. Yeah, it, it is. So uh, nice. uh, So yeah, thanks very much, Max. This is uh, definitely an album of the year. I'm, I'm really in love with it, and I'm I believe that uh, Stephen Wilson is releasing a new. I'm not sure if it's a full album or an EP sometime in the new year, and I think it might be. Just like you know, a couple of tracks that were left off hand cannot erase, and a, a couple of new tracks. But I think even his leftovers are still probably going to be something well worth searching out. So that's uh, Stephen Wilson. All right, so we're up to uh, album number four in uh, the show. So uh, Michael, I turn the floor over to you again. Okay, another one that's been around forever, and um, in my humble opinion, a return to form. I think it's his first solo album. Uh, Billy Gibbons, the uh, the main man from ZZ Top, has a has an album out called Perfecta Mundo. What a great name for an album, and it's so ZZ Top. Does it have um, a picture of Henry Winkler anywhere? <laughs> it should be, shouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I, I love old school ZZ Top, you know, Trey on Bray and Fandango and all that. Oh, yeah. And, and for me, he's gone back, you know, he's, Billy Gibbons has gone back to that, uh, which, which he does so well. And I don't know, you know, I, I guess I'm not really sure how revered a guitar player he is in general. You know, music circles, but he—you know—he really, he really is just a fantastic guitar player, and he's—he's he's done so much to take whatever genre of music you call ZZ Top 
Clapton's version of the blues, but it's it's just timeless. It doesn't it doesn't get old, and and this album is 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 a killer. It really is um, as, as good as anything ZZ Top have done in in a long time. And 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 I guess a bit like ELO, they for me they lost their way a bit in the eighties when they went. You know, all the techno, <laughs> electronic drum stuff was just a bit over the top. Yes. But um, yeah, this is back to to what what they do best. So the the album's called Perfecto Mundo, and the, the the song I chose was uh, was Got Love If You Want. Oh, hang on. So what? The, the Slim Harpo song? Yes. Oh wow, excellent. Oh, looking forward to uh, having a listen to that. So who's playing with them on the album, Michael? I don't know. I've I've, I've only got a. I don't have a a real. Uh, a real copy of it. I've only got a soft copy, which I've only had for a couple of weeks and and progress. So I'm not sure who else is playing it. I I should have been a bit more organised and Google it, shouldn't I? No, you should have. You should have. <laughs> All right. So uh, Billy Gibbons, perfect mundo. I wonder if someone's going to send a copy to Henry Winkler. That would um, that would <laughs> probably make his year. All right. Uh, so Tim, your uh, next selection. All right. This one for me was. Uh very left to center not what i'm generally uh used to listening to but i just found it incredibly moving and very very beautiful i guess i hope i get this name right there is a woman her name is cbl bear and in, she put out an album in 2006 and it's called color green tonight when i came home from work Tonight When I came home from work There he Unforeseen Sat in my kitchen Buttering himself for bread And the cat was on his knee And smiled at me Tonight When I came home And there's an amazing story about this uh, recording was that it was actually recorded between 1970 and 1973. And uh, Sibyl Pierre, she uh, recorded this album just for her family and friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, she recorded, uh, you know, basically uh, at home on a reel to reel with just an acoustic guitar and she wrote these songs. And for years, these uh, these songs are basically, you know, left in a box or basically um, unreleased until around uh, 2006 when her son actually got a hold of the tapes and he transferred them to CD and had given them out to uh, family members as a gift because he thought they were so beautiful. Mm. And then he had actually gave a copy of the CD to uh, one Jay Massis of uh, Dinosaur Jr. Oh, wow. And Jay Massis actually wound up uh, having it released on the uh, Orange Twin label in mm. 2006. And the only way I can describe a CBL uh, bear is if you can imagine a, uh, a darker Nico okay. or... Uh, or Nico meet or kind of uh, a female version of uh, Leonard Cohen with with lyrics that are kind of very very close to something like Sylvia Plath, very very dark, but at the same time very beautiful. Mm. And what's really funny is that uh, 
this woman, CBL, she was actually good friends with Vim Vendors. And uh, she actually started one of his films. And I think her music was actually used in a number of Vendors films as well. So, but this stuff is really, you know, it's, it's like Sunday morning music or just waking up music. It's, it's just beautiful stuff. But, you know, if you can, you know, it, it, it's kind of, uh, if you can look over, you know, the kind of immediate, uh, I don't know, it's, it, it just, it might hit some people as overly depressing or, you know, it, it's kind of like Joy Division, you know, I mean, where a lot of people think, you know, Joy Division is their favorite band and they can sit and listen to Joy Division forever. And other people just say, this music makes me want to kill myself, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was, so. I was actually speaking to a friend of mine here um, a few years ago when Bill Fay was uh, announcing that he was releasing a new album and I was very, very excited, as was uh, our good friend Bernard Stickwell. Uh, this friend of mine said, oh, I don't know how you can listen to him. He's so depressing. And you know, I, I had to say, you know, well, I completely disagree. Yes, it is. It's dark material or, or, or some of it is dark material, but there's beauty in, you know, in that, in that dark space. You know, it's not all, sure. it's, it's not all a downer. It's, it's just, yeah. And, and so I, I'm, now you've really piqued my interest. So Sibyl Bear and yeah. the color green. It's, the color green it's an amazing record it's really really beautiful but you know for people that you know like you just said you know people that whine about things being depressing mm. i mean shit man you know look at johnny cash <laughs> that's true i mean johnny cash you know he's a legend he's written you know he's sold out halls worldwide people listen to his music forever but damn if johnny didn't write some of the most depressing music you'd ever heard you know mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was a there was beauty in in that dark yeah. spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so that's a that's a high recommend, and that's from two thousand and six, or well, well, recorded yeah. in the early seventies, but came out in two thousand and six. Right. Yeah. I'm gonna this. You've piqued my interest. I, I I'm a big fan of uh, those early seventies singer songwritery types like uh, Judy Sill and uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Karen Dalton and you know the likes. Of. I think I think you'll love this. I think you'll really really love this. Looking forward to it. Thanks. All right, so we're going to go to my fourth album, uh, and this is I've actually sort of apart from my last pick, most of these albums are either you know, are really only within a year or so of uh, this year. I've been listening to a lot of uh, newer stuff, although I've got a few of my in my uh, not-quite-made-it list that are older. But anyway, so uh, this is an album that came out this year, and on paper, it's not a collaboration that I would have thought would have worked, but the album is an absolute corker. The album is a collaboration between Melbourne funk band The Bamboos and the lead singer of UMI, Tim Rogers, and their album The Rules of Attraction.
Blues is sort of one of those bands for me that just, they've always been there, but I've really not listened to a whole heap of their stuff. I always knew, oh yeah, they're that great funk band that are doing the rounds. And I'd heard, I'd heard a couple of songs, but I never really sort of followed them up. But this album came out, and I suspect, well, I don't know for sure, but I wonder if they thought that they were going to get some new people on board from the UMI camp by having Tim Rogers' name associated with this. But certainly, being a Tim Rogers fan, I thought, oh, well, yeah, maybe I should give this a listen. Anyway, um, a, a couple of years ago, I think, they uh, on a on an album that the Bamboos did, they got a whole bunch of uh, different singers to collaborate with them, and Tim did a one-off song with them called I Got Burnt. And it's rather an interesting film clip, if you can look that up on YouTube. At the time, I think, Tim Rogers was uh, uh, going out with Megan Washington and uh, he was like working backstage for her at a Bamboos gig. Just I like, got into a discussion him uh, with the lead guitarist of uh, the Bamboos and that sort of turned into this uh, into this project. So this album is more on the classic soul feel and Tim Rogers is not normally what you'd sort of think of a typical soul singer, although to be honest, I don't know where you'd stand on this, Michael. I wouldn't exactly think that he's what you'd call a typical rock singer either. No, no it's very hard to pigeonhole him, indeed. And, and yet, you know, like he, when he's on stage, he is a rock star. He struts and he is king of the stage. And he, he's a bit of a... Uh, he's not as tall as I sort of thought he was, but uh, <laughs> no, when, he, when he's on stage, he owns that stage and he's a real showman. And that's probably a good thing for this sort of music. As, as for uh, the band itself, these songs are just absolutely crooking. I love the intro uh, to the song On Time. It's uh, not at all too uh, dissimilar to the horn motif used for um, uh, that, sort of, that ad that you sort of see for the Grindhouse films. Uh, I, I hate to mention Tarantino's name to you, Tim, but but you know that uh, little the, the sort of intro that they have there to indicate like that's not even that's not even Tarantino. I, I know it, I know it's not, but that's but, you know, my my apologies. That's where I know it from. Yeah, but but, um, but yeah, they they work on this little riff at the beginning of uh, this song on time. And the band just holds such a really tight groove. You know, that horn section, that rhythm section, it, it, it's a groovy sort of... There's a tasty piano solo and a really tight rhythm guitar like Great Soul does. Uh, and then you get some diversity with uh, the beauty of a song like uh, Did I Wake You? It's a, a really lyrically biting song about infidelity with uh, some beautiful Philadelphia soul-style string section on it. Um, nice. And uh, But for me, the highlight of the album is actually a song that I think was released as a single. I'm not even sure what that means anymore because we don't have singles and such. But the song they made a film clip for, maybe was supposed to be played on the radio, a song uh, called Easy. And uh, no, not the Commodore song. But this has got uh, a really terrific guitar riff on it. Uh, check out the film clip for this. I don't want to describe it. It's just, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I have to emphasize that the songs still sound very now and very fresh. It could come off as a pastiche, like I mentioned before with Nathaniel Ratliff, but I don't feel like that's the case. It's grounded in classic soul, but it doesn't feel outdated. Regardless, though, this is a dozen well-written songs with some beautiful playing from an absolutely cooking band. It's definitely an inspired collaboration. There's there's even a song in a funk soul vein on the new UMI album, and I'd say certainly uh, Tim's Come Away 
with uh, some influence from his time recording with the Bamboos, and that can't be a bad thing. The the new UMI album sort of comes up in my end of year uh, list of albums. It didn't quite make it to the top five, but that's possibly because you know it, it's it's only been released like a thing for about a month, so I hadn't had a chance to really live with it too much. But it, it, you know, on the first few listens, it is a great album too. But uh, anyway, so the one this one that I'm uh, praising here is uh, The Rules of Attraction by Tim Rogers and the Bamboos. And just like I was excited about Nathaniel Rateliff coming out on the Stax label, this one has been released on the Atlantic label. So a bit of classic soul on what was known as a classic soul label. So um, mm. I, I highly recommend this one. It's a, it's a fantastic album. Probably a good party album, I imagine, as well. But uh, So uh, I highly recommend Actually, one person I should also mention, though, and she must have you know no ego whatsoever. Basically, the Bamboos tends to be something of that they go through a variety of singers. They never stick with the one, but the woman who's most associated with singing with them and who's done probably more so with them is a local funk singer who has a, a a career in her own right called Kylie Aldist and she's got a great voice and she completely takes back seat on this album she does sing some backup and I think does one song as a duet with Tim but for her to sort of like you know give up the floor to to Tim it it's it's incredible on her part to basically say well I'll I'll give the floor to you I'll I'll uh, just do a bit of background vocal because she has got an amazing voice in her own right so um yeah the rules of attraction by Tim Rogers and the Bamboos. Nice. All right, so um, we've covered four albums, two rounds, so we're going to have one more go around, but I think we'll do that after one more break because I'm desperate for another glass of water. So uh, you're listening to uh, myself and Tim and Michael, and we're half the Shooting the Shit team, and uh, this is Love That Album, episode 85 in December 2015. We'll be back in a moment. If you like westerns, comedies, foreign films, horror movies, action-adventure, and classic cinema, well, we don't have much of that, but if you like ass, titties, farting, burping, puffy nipples, poop, taboo porn, muffin tops, comic books, wrestling, mustaches, pies smashed on butts, cheese, taking baths, butt sex, gagging, milk, and the American flag, check out the Silva and Gold Podcast. We're the morons your mom warned you about. While she was sitting on your face. Silver and gold. We talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com. every month as they discuss music-related movies. iTunes, Facebook or download direct from seehere.podbeam.com The See Here Podcast. <laughs> 
It's a blast. Far out. And we're back for the final segment of the show. Thanks very much once again for uh, listening to uh, us shoot the shit. And it's uh, uh, up to Michael, uh, your fifth album and final album that you wish to discuss in some detail for the evening. Okay, so um, up to now they've been in no particular order, but but I left the my my album of the year till last, and it's um, it, it's something I I stumbled across just totally out of the blue, and I I um, about a week before I went overseas in, in September, I uh, I had a a promo album lob into my email uh, called FFS. Now I had no idea who it was, and I I I quickly did a, a quick search, and it was. Franz Ferdinand, who uh, are a Scottish band, had a big hit a few years ago with. Um, oh yeah, yeah, and and not I wasn't a big fan. Um, didn't dislike them, but wasn't a big fan. Um, but then I uh, I read further on that it was a collaboration between those guys and one of my favourite bands from Los Angeles of all time, Sparks. Sparks. Words are in my head, but I can't enunciate them clearly Headphones on your head, they prevent a chance to even try Some might find me borderline attractive from afar But afar is not where I can stay and there you are Though I want you My first reaction is, oh, this is just fraught with danger. What have they done? Because I, I have, a, and I, I really didn't think the Mail Brothers were was still alive. I hadn't hadn't heard anything for so long. Yeah. But I uh, I threw the the MP3s onto my uh, trusty little MP3 player, uh, listened to them on the bus on the way to the city one morning, and could not get my ears off them. The album is so good. It is sparks back to. Um, their brilliant best and all the songs are so clever and so funny and and great pop songs and just I can't rave about this album too much so that, that was the first coincidence as, as I said I was just before I was going to um, going to London and I, I was trawling the internet to see who was playing while I was there and it just so happened that Franz Ferdinand and Sparks were playing out uh, out in the north of London in Kentish Town the last night that I was in London and I thought oh it's going to be too hard my wife is not a fan I'm not going to be able to drag her out there I, you know I won't do anything about it and it was playing on in the back of my mind and um, on air I think on our second to last day in London we went to visit the daughter of a friend of ours who's living over there and working in um, in Oxford Street and and she she wasn't she's was working in a um, a jewelry store. We went to say hello, and she was at lunch. So we walked across the road, and I walked literally walked straight into a little hole in the wall ticket selling booth, and they had a sign on the door saying Franz Ferdinand Sparks. And I said to my wife, "That's an omen," <laughs> and she she still was very much against going going to this gig the night before we left town. But um, I said, "No, come on, we're going to go." Man, I'm so glad we did. They were sensational. It was a, it was in a, in a, in a place called the Forum, which out out in Kentish Town in North London, and um, I guess a, a small version of the Palais in Melbourne, um, uh, a one balcony, you know, obviously an ex theatre. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it was really fascinating. The, I, w- I was upstairs. Downstairs was all kids, all obviously Franz Ferdinand's fans. Yep. Upstairs, I was the youngest guy in the audience. It was all old school Spartan fans. <laughs> and man, they went nuts. I've never seen anything like it. And they played the whole album and a heap of great Sparks tunes. And I just had this huge smile on my face. Oh, so it was just the best. And, and, yeah. and honestly, if you have not heard this album, and if you remember, Sparks didn't get a lot of airplay in Australia. At all. I don't know if you remember them much, Morris. Look, the, the one thing I remember, Countdown used to play when I'm with you quite a oh, lot. Yeah, I remember yeah. that film clip. That was uh, that was that was one thing I remember in any detail. And I think didn't um, when uh, Paul McCartney put together that film clip for Coming Up, what, yes. and it like had him in yes. multiple characters, didn't he? Do was it Ron? Yeah, he was a tribute yes. tribute to Sparks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they, they didn't get a lot of they didn't get a lot of play in America either, to tell you the truth, but. I'm so glad you got to see that gig, Michael. But you know what's funny is I agree with you 100%. You know, uh, I was having a really shitty day a while back. And before the album came out, they released uh, an advance of the, the one track, uh, Piss Off. <laughs> which is which is, which is their big excuse me right. showstopper at the end, and the whole audience was just it was hilarious. Oh yeah, but I but after hearing that, I was just like, oh man, brought a big smile to my face, and it was just the exact thing that I needed that day. Piss off to the world tonight, you know? It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So so since then, I've gone back and revisited my whole Sparse catalog, and you know, there's so many great albums. Um, only the other day I was listening to. Uh, an album called Womp That Sucker. And, yeah, yeah. And that's just the best name of an album ever without even listening to the tune. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. My Kimono. Oh, yeah. yeah. Go go yeah, back yeah. and chase some of that stuff up if you if you heard this album and, and like the sound of it. But um, I can't recommend this album highly enough. It is just catchy song after catchy song after catchy song. That's uh, – I'm really glad that you had that thrill that, you know, you're on the other side of the world and – Something that you had no expectation to be doing before you left Adelaide, uh, that you, you got to see this great band. Yeah. So it was that's the weirdest really thing. The stars just aligned, and 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 Sparks have never come to Australia, to my knowledge. Yeah. And and I had no no thoughts of ever being able to see them play, and they were sensational. Mm. Really, really funny. Nice, Tim. Your final album of the night. Okay. Well, the last one that I'm going to bring up tonight is an album that. Not only uh, have I enjoyed quite thoroughly, but also our friend uh, Mr. Bernard Stickwell, known and known to some as, as the Stick Man, the Stickmeister. Uh, Shay, Shay, uh, who lives at Shay Sticky? Sticky Fingers. Yes, you know? yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, the album I'm talking about is the uh, 2015 release uh, by a band from England called Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats, and the album is called The Night Creeper.
Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats. It's kind of an interesting situation with this band because there's I really have I really take umbrage with people who just are lazy in their classification of a lot of music. You know, a lot of stuff when people hear 70s influences or whatever, people just say, "Oh, it's stoner rock." or it's it's just a sabbath rip off you know or whatever you know like people really they don't they just hear traces of things and automatically they just paint it with that just wide sweeping brush you know but uncle acid to me they're not really a metal band at all per se if you can imagine a, you know the way that Alice Cooper in the 70s was very dark but he wasn't metal he was the progenitor of metal. Mm. I mean, I mean, you know, the Battle of Dwight Fry and Killer, and I mean, Halo of Flies. That Absolutely. kind of meant that menace, that 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 menace of you know, right after the Manson family and Altmont, and you know, the realization by you know Middle America that you know it wasn't such a place of peace, love, and happiness. You know that that kind of under that sorted underbelly. Sorry, sorry, to inter- where- sorry to interrupt for a second, but there's there's really great chapter in a book that I read a few years back, and I discussed this with, with Eric called uh, "This Ain't the Summer of Love," and it discusses right. that whole idea about what America was, what the America was that Alice Cooper and Iggy Pop were right. born into, and it, it right. talks exactly what you were saying about it. Right. Actually, that was the title of a Blue Oyster Cult song, "The Saint of Similar Love." Right. But it's that. But it's that whole menace. That's where Uncle Acid is coming from. I mean, like the band itself. If you could imagine, kind of a darker, kind of more distorted suite, or you know, like a, a kind of you know, like they've got that pop sensibility of sweet, mm. but there's a lot of malice behind it. A lot of kind of like you know, uh, almost like. Uh, an obsession with the Manson family, or not, I wouldn't say the Manson family in particular, but that whole, like I say, sordid underbelly of the 70s, like, you know, bikers and and deranged hippies and bad acid trips and just the whole, uh, that whole uh, feeling of the early 70s, you know, and there was bands like, for example, uh, I would pigeonhole them, I, not pigeonhole, but I would put them in, in long lines of bands like, for example, there was a band called Coven from the 70s that was like a witch, uh, dark witchcraft band, American band called Coven. And, or else in, Amer- in Australia, you had Buffalo. Yeah. You know, I mean, these guys would be perfect alongside of Buffalo and things like that. Like just really kind of a heavier, heavier rock with, with, the, with a bit of pop sensibility to it. And I can see these guys, like, they uh, they did a video for their album, I mean, for their song, uh, uh, Melody Lane. And the video is almost like an exact tribute to, like, Jally. And you, I could see these guys completely being, like, the house band in an Argento 70s Jally. Oh, wow. You know, like, that kind of, like, you know, poppy, but very, very, very dark. Yeah. So this is... Uh, this is what I really, I mean, and the, this and the last album they put out were both killer, killer records. I mean, you know, I, I just haven't been able to stop listening to them, and, and Bernie's the same. So, so what's the name of this uh, of this Uncle Acid album? Uh, the Uncle Acid album is called The Night Creeper. Night Creeper. Now, you've uh, once again piqued my interest when you start mentioning Goblin and, or, or Argento. Then, um, mm-hmm. then yeah, yeah, that's, that sounds like something that would be right up my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, any more thoughts on that, or 
No. No? Okay. All right, so my final album for the night. So I, I guess both of you have uh, bands that you've discovered well after the fact, you know, when the rest of the world has you know, been there and done that. This band is not a discovery <clears throat> band for me. They were one that I was aware of. But this was the year when the penny finally dropped for me as to what made them great. And I'm talking about a band that probably you're a fan of, Michael. Perth group The Triffids, featuring songwriter David McComb. Kathy was here and Kathy knows how she found out. How I don't know how it all began, how it began to show. She got by on her way back home. By wearing your old clothes Now they're Kathy's new clothes Now they're Kathy's new clothes Kathy knows And Kathy knows And Kathy knows And Kathy knows And I noticed I was acting strange I could harm a tune Not know its name I could burn my hand Then I could feel no Love the trip. Yes, indeed. Now, my friend and a fellow who works at uh, Basement Discs here in Melbourne, Pat Monahan, is a huge fan of the Triffids, and as he's originally from Perth, he knew Macomb very, very well. And I'm planning on having uh, Pat come onto the program sometime in 2016 for a full discussion of a Triffids album, most likely Born Sandy Devotional. That's the the one I guess that they're most known for. Uh, in the 80s, I probably didn't get into them so much because the music's always seemed to have that synthesizer wash and you know the 80s production values, possibly not too dissimilar to the album that we discussed uh, some episodes back, Michael, about uh, the Saints' All Fool's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know... I mean, there was so there was something of a sense of the size of Wash, but maybe not so extreme. Also, I wasn't really that sold on David McComb's voice at the time. I guess what sort of sold me on McComb, though, as a songwriter, was often seeing Weddings, Parties, Anything perform Wide Open Road, their most probably the most famous song uh, in their live set. It made me pay attention to the fact that yeah, McComb was a really good songwriter, but. Aside from getting a Best Of album, I still wasn't really tempted to sort of take it any further until this year. I was in a second-hand record store and they had their re-releases like with multiple bonus tracks and bonus discs going you know, pretty cheaply. So I thought, all right, I'll give this a go. And wow, I've been absolutely knocked over. So my choice for this show, the album I want to talk about, is their, I think it was their third commercially released album called In the Pines. Now why I say commercially released is before they even released their first proper album, David McComb had put together, I think like a, I don't think know if it was a full lineup of the band or just like a, you know, himself and a few friends, he'd gone and released a whole bunch of albums on cassette. So there were like, I don't know, seven, eight, nine albums or something like that. They just came out on cassette in small numbers. But the first commercially released album didn't come out till, oh, I don't know, what was it, 82, 83 or something like that. And this is the third one. I have to stress that this album, it still sounds very Triffids-like. It has all the hallmarks, you know, because it's McCombs' voice. And there is still something of the synthesizer used in that. But this is a word I hate using, but I can't think of another one for the moment. I'm going to use the word organic. This album okay so here's the interesting thing about it rather than recording it in a proper studio the band had spent some time in london which is i think where they just recorded born sandy devotional and that had a lot of good uh, feedback a lot of good uh, reviews from the critics and 
I think they were getting some fans. So they came back to Australia and they went to um, a property that was owned by uh, David McComb's parents about 600 kilometres southeast of Perth. And they set themselves up on the property in a barn and they recorded an album, this, this album, In the Pines. Uh, the album had, uh, according to my information, a, a $1,200 budget. $340 of that budget was spent on beer. $310 on food, $240 on petrol. So do the arithmetic. There's not much left for actually recording the album. And yet it doesn't sound like an album that's really half-hearted. It's a bunch of great songs. And when you listen to it, probably one thing that will come to mind is the band and Bob Dylan uh, and the Basement Tapes. Although probably from a sound production perspective, this album sounds better than that. I mean, you know, the quality of the songs you you know depends whether you're a dylan fan or a, or a triffords fan you can debate but from a sound from a production perspective this sounds better but it doesn't sound as overly produced and overly synthesized now, there, there are some tunes on this album which they went and re-recorded for their follow-up album to this called calenture and there's a huge difference in the feel of those songs. I personally actually like the In the Pines version. They sound a lot more natural. But there's um, there's some songs that have a real strong Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds feel. But there's some songs that sound like they wouldn't be out of place being uh, sung around a piano in a pub. You know, just you know, with your arms around your, your best mate. The album opener, Sun Stripper, uh, still has use of that, sun, uh, that synthesizer wash that appears on the other Triffids record. But it's really, really pulled back. But Once a Day sounds like a music hall song. You stand around the piano singing. The title track, In the Pines, it's not the uh, the lead belly song that we all know and love, but it still sort of has something of that feel. It's it's a debatable maybe whether it's a murder ballad. It's not as obvious like In the Pines is, uh, as a, the lead belly In the Pines is. This sort of hints to me at being something of a murder ballad. I'll have to sort of see if I can read much more into the lyrics. Uh, I got the remastered edition of of this album and the liner notes written by producer Bruce Calloway told how uh, the pedal steel player Graham Lee entrusted him to uh, digitizing and remastering the tapes that were apparently in shocking condition and it was a painstaking process to fix the tapes to get rid of the dirt that had built up on the tears of this tape they've just been lying around for something like 20 years so the album was originally came out in 1986 and I think that this remastered edition came out about 2005 2006 and I'm just so glad that they took the time to uh, pay attention to fixing up these tapes. And, and the album just sounds absolutely marvellous. It's got the, everything that they recorded for the album. I think the original album only came out with about 11 songs. There's 19 songs on this. Uh, and I wouldn't get rid of any of them. Um, it's, it's, all a, it's a treat. Just a wonderful, wonderful album. And I'm sure that there are listeners to this show who are thinking... You never listen to the tri- to the Triffids with any sort of devotion. Who the hell are you to be doing a music podcast? And shame on me, but what the hell? I've discovered them now, and uh, well, not di- once again, not discovered, but I appreciate them now. So um, yeah. if uh, you've held back, and uh, I- I'd urge you to uh, go search out the uh, the Triffids albums, all of them have uh, plenty to recommend them. But this one, In the Pines. If you just want one that's not a best of. Get this one in the pines. It sounds a lot more naturalistic. There's you know, great folksy guitars, but yet it does sound like an 80s album, but in a more sort of restrained sort of way. And David McCombs' songwriting really shines here. So uh, a wonderful album. 
and with that comes to um, to the end of uh, our list of uh, sort of, uh, of of albums that we talk about in some level of detail. But um, gentlemen, let's sort of quickly go through albums that didn't quite make the list that you might just sort of want to uh, go through quickly. Uh, Michael. Um, well, well I, I can't not mention um, a reissue sort of triple CD package that's come out recently. It's called Don't You Believe What You've Seen or You've Heard. Okay. A little band that you may have heard of, Morris, uh, that we went and saw. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Skyhooks, Australia's Darlings from the 70s. Uh, it's, it's a reissue of the first two albums, Living in the 70s and Ego is Not a Dirty Word. They're both remastered. The sound is sensational. They've thrown on some, some demos of, uh, of both those albums on there, and there's a third disc of live stuff from 1974 and 75. It is fantastic stuff. The quality and the packaging is is really great. So uh, so that would have been put together by, uh, I imagine, by David Lang, who's responsible yes. for uh, the, yep. the fantastic Boogie compilation and Country Roads compilation, which... Tim, you'd be uh, well acquainted with by now. Oh, yeah. I've listened to them many, many times. And you know what? I actually have to thank Skyhooks for winning me $20 in a yeah. bet. How well, so? because a music friend of mine was adamant up and down that uh, Iron Maiden on their first album, he had written a song called Women in Uniform. <laughs> and I told him, I said, no, au contraire, my friend. I said it was written by an Australian band, Skyhooks. No, no, no. Yeah, Skyhooks covered it. I said, no, they did not. <laughs> Fantastic. So, I, I'm glad that, that $20 is well deserved. Yeah, it, paid for it, a round it. at the pub. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Great so, job. Anything else, um, Michael? Oh, the, the other one quickly is, is we, we discussed this last time I saw you, that, that I'm I think you said Max was a big Neil Peart band from Russia, and, yes. and I am too. And, and there's a, a a live compilation called R40. The the guys have been around for 40 years. It's just so yeah. good, and and they have never been to Australia. And I actually write to Getty Lee at least once a year, begging him to come and see it. <laughs> He's never replied to me, but I will not stop writing to him. Yeah, Those yeah. are the two nights. Those are the two nights they recorded in Toronto, right? Uh, would have so loved to. Have yeah, I would yeah. so love to see and those guys. You, you know what's amazing about that, the, the R40, that, um, I mean, I, li I like a lot of the Rush material myself. I'm not a diehard fan, but uh, I love the early albums myself. But the one thing about this tour that's really incredible, what they did was that they actually started out, like, the beginning of their shows with all this gear on stage. And as the show progressed, they actually had the roadies come out and remove stuff from the stage to actually replicate the bear, the the going back in time. And then at the very end of the shows, they actually just had them with a couple of uh, amps, the way they used to play high schools in, in Ontario in the 70s. I read about it's, that. It's that cool. sounds like a great concept. But it was all done. Right. But it was all done. At the, like it was all done during the concert. Like they didn't so, stop. So were they? Were they? Um, as the concert progressed, did they change instruments? Like you know, did did oh, yeah. he play? Yeah, he played yeah. the bass that he played forty years ago or something like that. Right. Well, it's like yeah, but it was just like them going back in the time machine, like you know, and and it's incredible because like when you when you talk to uh, you listen to Rush, I'm sorry, um, in interviews and people talk to them, they go back and say, yeah, it was the Who. It was Blue Cheer. 
it was, you know, and for uh, Neil Peart, you know, it was like Gene Krupa, you know, and it was, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, the bastard band leader. Oh, Buddy Rich. Buddy Rich, you know, like all those guys, you know, like, I mean, but it, but you can tell like they were like the best of our Canadian who at the same time, they were like our Canadian. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm, absolutely. A mix of the two, if you... As I said, I, I would I would come close to selling my children to actually get to see them play. So. Oh, I hope they don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> no, Rush, do not listen to your podcast. No, no. I mean your children. You know, you, you, you know what? You know what to blow your mind, Michael, is they actually played my high school twice in the 1970s. Wow, that's amazing. Wow, yeah, but, that's yeah, but, but right. have, have it this, but ACDC played Michael's high school in the 1970s. Not there quite. you go. Nearly, nearly. Okay. Anyway, just just quickly, two more. Um, I'm, I'm a huge James Morrison fan, um, and I haven't heard much from him in recent years that's really uh, made my ears prick up, but he's got an album out called A Fine Bromance, and it is back to his, his what he does best. Just he, And he's, he's, he's tried every aspect of jazz there is, and he does everything so well, but this is his back to sort of more traditional James Morrison, and I love this album. So A Fine Bromance is a, is a good one if you... Uh, if you like that sort of thing. I think the only album I've got of his is the one, the collaboration he did with the Idea of North, where they sort of decided to do one album, not a cappella. Uh, okay. And he, he went and wrote, he actually went and wrote some of the arrangements on uh, the album, uh, but yeah. had them playing with his big band, and uh, it, was, it was really quite wonderful. I think he might have even written their arrangement of uh, Smile, the uh, the old Charlie Chaplin song, I'm not sure, but... Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was, that was very nice. So yeah, he's a he's definitely a fine trumpet player indeed. Indeed, and and just quickly, um, uh, last but but not least, and it's a reissue. But there, there's a a reissue of Fragile, the the classic Yes album mm. out, and and it's just got the 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 extra tracks on it are sensational, and uh, the, it really just does jump out of the speaker. So it's worth worth checking out the remix, and it's something I thought you might be interested in, Morris. It's got a an a cappella version of We Have Heaven. Oh on it. So it's worth a listen. It's it's oh great. And, and yes, does you know vocals? They don't get um they don't get the the kudos for what great vocalists they were still are. So uh, yeah, that's that's my uh, my quick one. So I'm trying to remember. Was this the year that we lost Chris Squire, or was that last yes, year? Indeed. Yeah, very sad indeed. He uh, he passed away early in the year. So um, yeah, and I've had the the great great fortune of seeing him play twice in Australia in the last um, well 2011 and 2014. So uh, I'm a very happy man. I got to sort of see him play. Okay, uh, Tim. Okay, I'm going to go through this quickly. Uh, the first one was uh, a band that I've been listening to for many many years, and I just never got around to this album. And they're a band from England, a garage rock band called The Headcoats. Mm-hmm. And this album was called In Tweed We Trust. And there, uh, there's a guy named Billy Childish, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but he's kind of like a, a garage rock institution in England, and he's he's like put out just an endless discography since the late 70s, and he's been in so many variations of different bands, and it, it's almost like, you know, he's like the progenitor, I mean, single-handedly, one guy, he's almost like Bridge, like the 1960s uh, uh, Nuggets and like TV personalities and all the 60s, like psychedelic garage stuff, the mod stuff. He's almost single-handedly bridged all of that stuff in the 60s and taken it into the late 70s, 80s, and 90s. 
So um, it's all lo-fi, but I, I love I love the head coats. I've always have. I just never got around to this album. Uh, the next one is uh, King Sonny a Day and his Afro Beats, Volume uh, 9 and 10. Nice, nice. Now, here's a guy. I've always loved King Sonny a Day. And, you know, as much as I've loved Fela, but with King Sonny a Day, to try to dig into his discography is a Herculean task because, man, this guy just put out, I mean, I think he's put out over 100 records, King Sonny a Day, 100 recordings. So nearly nearly as many as Sun Ra. Right, about a, over I think about a, over 120 actually, and uh, and most of them were on the African music label. But uh, like I was saying about uh, West Montgomery, you know, like I can put on King Sonny a day, and I'm when I'm having the shittiest day, and everything's all right, you know. King Sonny a day, there's just something about the hypnotic rhythms and his guitar playing that just puts me in the place where I need to be, man. And it's just I've always loved his his music, and I always will. Uh, the next one is. Uh, American band Clutch, their new album, Psychic Warfare. It's a fantastic record. I mean, a lot of uh, American 70s, like the, I mean, the heavy rock guys now, they're, they all look back at the 70s. Whereas Clutch, they were looking back at guys like Willie Dixon and, you know, Howlin' Wolf. I mean, the music that Clutch plays is, is yeah, it's, it's heavy. It's, it's more like boogie blues. It would be closer to like they're closer to ZZ Top and what they do. And I think you'd probably dig this, Michael. The, the yeah, new Clutch I'm, record. I'm writing it down. They're, they're actually touring here. I think early next year. I think they play in Melbourne. They're playing the Forum. So um, they're on. Okay. If, uh, if but it's you're called Psych Psychic Warfare, the new album. But it's you know it's really really sharp. Like the last three albums that they've put out have been consistently great. There hasn't been a bad one in the last three. Yeah, I've written it down. I'm gonna go. I'll go searching, and hopefully they're coming here. And, uh, There's some tasty slide on that too. I mean, like you you know you'd be surprised. And the last uh, album I've got here is um, a fellow named Les Baxter, and you might be familiar with. Indeed. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've got into the Exotica records that Les Baxter has uh, put out, you know, all the variations of the Space Lounge albums and uh, Eric our just, friend... K- Eric just spoke about him, re- or spoke about the, uh, the that sort of Lounge Exotica on a, on right. a bonus episode recently. And our mutual friend Cam Towler, Cam's a big fan of Les Baxter as well, but there's one album in particular that I found, and it's a soundtrack he did to a biker film. Oh. And it's actually called Hell's Bells. And uh, I've been playing this nonstop because, you know, like with Les Baxter, his albums were all like compilations of various, you know, I mean, typically, you know, he did the Tiki album and then the Space album and then the African album. But, but his stuff was all varied. But this was an actual soundtrack. Mm. And it's sharp, man. It's just like it's a hell of a lot of fun. I mean, like. Whenever I want to sit down and write and get the creative juices going, you know, writing about film, this is what I sit down and put on is this Hell's Bell soundtrack, and it's great. All right. Um, actually, before I go listing the albums that I wanted to put as my uh, honorable mentions, I, I sort of <clears throat> was thinking about this, that when I put my list of my five main albums, it, it was interesting to think that five artists who I've always loved and you know I've always held up there put out albums this year, and... As good as they are, none of them have made it into my top five, not even in my top ten albums of the year, which is a good sort of thing because it goes to show that I'm always sort of discovering really, really great stuff and I don't have to rest on the familiar ground. And so uh, there were new albums this year from Los Lobos, Gates of Gold, and we had uh, Steve Berlin 
come on as special guest a few episodes back. I was also going to say that we didn't mention the Alvin Brothers. Oh my God! No, no, we. Oh, that I haven't actually heard that new album. So I, I take it that that's uh, well worth it because I only got like the one that they put out, the tribute to Big Bill Brunsey, uh, right. a year or two ago. But I got to see them live this year, and that was that was a pretty heavenly experience. But I haven't heard this new one, so I, I take it you're pretty enamored with it. It would already be on your list, but I, I I figured you would be on your list, so I never put it on mine. I have I haven't heard it yet. I haven't heard it yet, but uh, ah. that's uh, that'll have to make. I, I'll buy it in 2016, and then can go on end of next of year's list but no the uh the albums by uh, los lobos there was a new album by richard thompson new album by wilco new album by ben folds and a new album by joe jackson all artists who i absolutely adore and yet none of those albums are even in my top 10 albums of the year or it be it for first time lessons or 2015 albums so um i'm just so really excited about all the other stuff that i'm uh, that i'm hearing that really yanking my chain as it would go so uh, out of my actual honorable mentions the first album is an album that i don't know if you know the album but certainly is the artist i know you loved him uh, i'm talking of one lobby lloyd and his album oh, yeah. from 1976 called obsecration mm-hmm. and one side of the album is like the hard rock grit and one side of the album is more, I don't know, acoustic or ballady material. Lloyd was an incredible musician. I'd heard Ball Power uh-huh. and I'd heard, you know, I'd heard all that sort of stuff. And he was a great producer, producer Rose Tattoo albums. But um, I managed to pick this up and uh, another album he did called The First Supper really, really cheaply uh, this year. And um, it's been played a lot in this household. Uh, and he's the guitarist who Angry Anderson said inspired Australian bands to crank their amps up. So uh, that's mm-hmm. very high praise indeed, because that's what in the 70s Australian bands were known for. So Colored uh, balls, man, is what it's all about. Indeed. So, uh, so yeah, Lobby Lloyd, Obsecration, an album called Between Times. Uh, There's only the second album that I've heard of from an Israeli band called Mashed on Derma, and their music is a mixture of Middle Eastern sounds and New Orleans funk bands. They're, I've seen some live footage on YouTube, and they're very, very exciting. But I've got two of their albums, one called New Flavors, and this new one called Between Times came out last year, and it's excellent. Another one, this is actually an album from 2005, I only discovered this year, uh, a guy called Lucky Oceans. Now, he's a, he's a, a pedal steel player, and he uh, had previously played for Asleep at the Wheel. He's originally American, but he's been living out in Perth for, uh, I don't know, 20 years or something like that, although I do believe he goes back to uh, to the States to play. But he he's, uh, works as a radio announcer here, I think, on... Uh, I don't know, it's Radio National in Perth. Uh, it does uh, does some great music shows over there. Uh, so this, this album really mines country and jazz in a way that wouldn't seem out of place, in, I guess, in a David Lynch film. I don't know, think of, think of Sleepwalk, and you've got an idea as to what uh, the Lucky Oceans album, Secret Steel, sounds like. And um, just yeah, briefly, uh, there have been great albums from uh, John McLaughlin, from the Dave Rawlings Machine. As I said, I'm very excited to be seeing them. Oh, or seeing, well, seeing them, seeing uh, Gillian Welsh and David Rawlings next year. The soundtrack of our lives, I discovered an album by them called Behind the Music, and uh, Eric Reanimator and I will be uh, covering this album sometime early in the new year. Looking forward to that. In the 2000s, we shouldn't have expected anything from Bill Fay, but we've got two new albums from Bill Fay in the last three years, and this year's one is called Who is the Sender? I, I can't praise this album highly enough. It's it's a long way away from albums like Time of the Last Persecution. It, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous stuff. He wears his heart on his sleeve, and this music is... A little bit of melancholy, but he writes earnestly. 
about you know the troubles that he sees the world in and just has these beautiful melodies with a very sympathetic band so uh, anyway yep there's some uh, great suggestions from the three of us i hope that you listeners out there have uh, taken some interest made some notes and hopefully uh, you'll see fit to go out and uh, purchase some of these albums and enjoy them but um thus ends part one of the uh, end of year shooting the shit love that album specials and i have to say really a huge thank you to both michael and to uh, tim for joining me it's uh, always a pleasure to be recording no, always fun guys Thank you, man. Thank you. You know, it's always a pleasure because I, I always get to hear such sweet selections from my friends and then I always have to go back out and scurry about the keyboard and try to find out, you know, open my ears up to new sounds, thankfully, from you guys. Yeah. And it ends up costing me money to buy more CDs. <laughs> well, I've right. I got, I got to say, you guys... Uh, and when I say you, the two of you and Eric and Dave McLemore and you know, a bunch of guys in our community have made me lose a lot of money. But you know what? If there's <laughs> going to if there's going to be a reason to lose money, on and if the reason is new music, I can't think of a better reason to spend your money. So that's so right. My my thanks to you guys. So um, out there, if you're listening and uh, you enjoyed this, please go follow up on some of our suggestions. But um, as I said at the start of the show. If you want to come forwards with uh, some suggestions for me to read out on the program, we have a second part of the program uh, that'll be coming out probably, as I said, a couple of days after Christmas, and that will feature the selections of Eric Reanimator, Dr. Jeff Smith, and uh, John Who the Hell is Wilco Sterrett. I'm really looking forward to hearing what their suggestions are. I'll be uh, moderating that, but I've already given that uh, all my suggestions, so I'll just be the traffic warden for that program, but looking forward to hearing what they have to say please send send an email or put something on the facebook page as to what your suggestions have been for the year and i'll read them out and uh, we'll share the love share the music share the suggestions with the listenership so um basically uh, until that final episode for 2015 thank you very much for having listened to this thank you very much for your support and having listened to the program over the course of the year we have as i said one more show for the year and until uh, we do that show please be nice to each other Listen to some great music, read some great books, watch some great films, and um, have a have a happy Christmas, Hanukkah, Festivus, whatever it is that you choose to celebrate. And until then, we'll speak to you soon. All the best. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.